Hey, everybody, it's your girl, Charlotte Van Horn, Black Expats in Panama by way of Glassboro, New Jersey. You know it right here on BlackCityRadio.com. What's happening, y'all? I hope that you guys had a great week, but okay, I'm just going to get right to it. This is just one of them weeks where you know what it is. I ain't got time to sit and chit and chit chat and smile, baby, because I have the interview of all interviews coming to you today. Today, our guest on the show is Adelia Abori Shade. I hope I said that right. Um, she is the um the face of Picky Girl Travels the World. Um, you probably have followed her on YouTube or Instagram, especially YouTube. She has a huge following on YouTube, almost 10,000. Congratulations, girl. Um, and she has wonderful videos about just you know financial education and other things with regard to traveling and living abroad. She has exciting guests that she bring, brings on to the show. She is a financial educator. Um, she is a relocation specialist. And we just have an amazing conversation um, to share with you today. So grab your paper and pencil because you may want to take notes. And you know the deal. So I'm going to get her on the line. So we're going to have a quick commercial break. And then I'll be back with Miss Adelia. Don't go nowhere. This is Charlotte Van Horn, Black Expats in Panama by way of Glassboro, New Jersey, right here on BlackSitRadio.com. Hey, everybody. It's your girl, Charlotte Van Horn, Black Expats in Panama. And I'm coming to you today to make sure that you know about our new Black Expats in Panama community platform. That's right, our BEAT community platform, or BCP. That can be found at blackexpatsinpanama.net. Just click on that link that says, join the community. There you will find businesses, groups, as members, you'll be um, privy to events. You can have you can sell things with the classified um, section. You'll get exclusive information offering and interviews. You get discounts on Black Expats in Panama meetups and tours and ITA global um, events as well and so much more. So go over there, check out the membership, see which one is right for you, and let us know if you have any questions. Thank you. And we're here with Adelia. Hi, Adelia. Hi. I am so proud and happy to have you on my little old show, girl. You don't know because you know you're a rock star. Oh, my. <laughs> you really are. You really are. You are very, very, very well loved. And I appreciate what you're doing. And I'm glad that you're able to come on and introduce yourself to those that might not know you. So by all means, please tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, my name is Adelia Borshade. Um, I am the, I guess I'm the founder of Picky Girls Travel Solo, which is a Facebook group for Black women solo travelers, whether they're beginning solo travelers, at, uh, advanced, doesn't matter. It is a safe space for Black women to ask questions, share their experiences, all of that. Uh, I am a... Um, a financial educator and the creator of the Financial Confidence Academy. Uh, kind of, I feel like my personal mission in life is to help Black women master their money so that they can live the life that they want. Uh, <laughs> because I feel like I'm doing that right now. And, you know, I started off as a, as a K-12 teacher making peanuts and ice water, as my mama used to say. And if I can do it, if I can figure out how to do it, anybody can do it. Well, you have some really good um, tips and ideas. I think the first time I heard one of your shows, you were talking about, you know, the cost of banking 
um, internationally and how you have to figure that out because, you know, the fees will kill you. And some people, they don't really, don't really think about that. There's just so many things that people don't take into consideration. So I like the fact that you, uh, what did you call it? Financial confidence? Yes. Because what I find with women and in particularly Black women, it's a lot of, well, I don't know. And that not knowing often paralyzes them. And so I'm like, don't worry about it. I can get you up to speed so that you can move confidently within your finances so that you can make these decisions and make these money moves that are going to serve you without having that, that, that fear, that lack of knowledge hold you back. So well, yeah. that is as huge because it is kind of the biggest thing. Um, you know, people say, you know, people say a lot of, a lot of cliches about money, but at the end of the day, when you got money problems, all of that is just not true because it affects you in so many ways. You know, if you don't have money, um, if you don't have the necessary money to do what you have to do, it affects your sleep. You know, um, I mean, you're, you're always anxious and that's going to affect everything else in your life. I mean, you can't relax. Money is a wellness issue and people don't think about it like that, but it is because like you just said, if you don't have enough money to do X, Y, and Z, that then the impact of that bleeds over into the health part of your life. Yeah. So very much. I agree. Totally. Yes. And, and then the thing is too, is like knowing you know, and I think that the one thing that I, you know, really applaud you and, you know, others that are, are doing this too, is that you are out there, you know, you're, you're showing people like I said, I want to get into your story. You said you was a K-12, you know, um, teacher and you're showing people that, yeah, you know, I was able to do this. You know, I didn't come from the bloom, the Bloomberg's, you know, no. <laughs> I was able to do it, but here, because here's the thing, Adelia, there are just some things that we have not done as a people in a big way. And so we don't know, a lot of us don't know a lot of, a lot of people who have traveled abroad, let alone pick up and move abroad, right? I always say when I was little, when I was growing up, the only people I knew that was international, baby, was going or coming from Vietnam. Okay, yeah. that was it. That was about the extent of it. So tell us about, you know, where you're from and and just how you, your journey took you international. Uh, I'm from Houston, Texas, where I lived for the first 41 years of my life. Uh, I went to university there. Um, but I always... Even from being a small kid, I always like geeked out about maps. I was always into like world cultures and all those things, which, you know, I became a geography teacher. Uh, so that that wasn't a big surprise. I had wanted to study abroad when I was in high school. But like you just said, that's not really something we did. I could not figure out how to make it happen financially. So that was just a dream I sort of put to the side. You know, life happened. I got married. I had kids. And um, I started to travel. Actually, I got my first passport when my youngest, like, was three months old. I left home with our daddy and took a group of kids to Italy. Uh, <laughs> But like once I did that, I was like, oh, this is this is what I need to be doing. And so always traveled as much as I could, um, given my circumstances, because I was married to somebody who didn't like to travel quite in the same way. Mm -hmm. uh, if there was a beach, he was fine. Right. I don't love the beach. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I am a city girl. Give me a, a city. Give me some museums. That's that's how I get down. And then. Um, that marriage came to an end, mm -hmm. which I am very happy and pleased about. Uh, and that was all around the time that I turned 40. And I always say there is something magical that happens when a woman turns 40. And, you, you know, like, I think that first part of our lives, we put up with so much from the patriarchy. But by the time you're 40, you're just like, I'm over all this. I'm going to do what I want. And yeah, 
And so I just, I, I kind of, I don't know that it was intentional, but I very much decided I was going to start living the life that I wanted. I didn't oh, care. How old were your kids today when you turned 40? 20 and 14. So I think that's a part of it too. Like, I think like based on the time that some of us start having um, kids, I think that you start getting to that place in your life where you think about yourself a little bit more. Yeah. You think about yourself a little bit more and you, you find yourself thinking, gosh, I would really like to do such and such so-and-so. And whereas those might've been fleeting thoughts in the past, you start thinking about it. You were like, well, damn, you know what? Maybe I could do it. <laughs> And I think also when you turn 40, you start to realize like you don't have this endless amount of time ahead of you. And it's like, and we all know life is short. If anything, from the last two and a half years, we've learned, we've learned that. That has been um, bad. Yeah. And so I think I just started thinking like, if, if this is all the life I get, would I be satisfied with how I have lived it? And unfortunately, the answer was no. There was a lot of stuff I still wanted to do. And so I was like, okay, how do we make these things happen? What are the things that I really want to do? And one of them was to live outside the United States and to learn another language other than English. Hmm. Okay. Um, and so, you know, things kind of all sort of came together. Now, my youngest was in the ninth grade. Well, she was actually in 10th grade when I did leave the U.S. and she came with me. Um, but, and I, and I, once I made the decision that, okay, I'm leaving, because the, originally the plan was to wait until she graduated high school. And I know that's what a lot of women do. Mm -hmm. And I just looked around and I was like, I could stay at this job I have. I don't know that I have another three years in me. Like mm -hmm. it may be detrimental for me to do that. And so when I made the decision to move abroad, I, gave, I, I was like, hey, I'd like you to come with me. I was fairly open to location. So I said, look, if there's a country that you would like to live in, let me know and I can try and work and find a job there. And she was completely uninterested. She was like, whatever, go do your thing. I'm not coming. And then <laughs> she was like, nah, like, that's no, all right. No apps. Yeah, she was like, nah, that's all right. And uh, I ended up getting a job in Latin America in Honduras at a very, very teeny tiny international school. And uh, had been planning this move just for myself. And then at the last minute, she was kind of like, hey, can I come? <laughs> and I was like, okay. So, because uh, I know Honduras is not a place that a lot of Americans move to, definitely not to Tegucigalpa. And generally, I find when I talk to moms, they're, they're, a lot of them, their first question is, well, where can I move with, with kids? Y'all, they got kids everywhere. Mm -hmm. You know, so you coming with children is not that much different, but I, I understand the concern. So, um, so yeah, I moved to Honduras in 2016 okay. and haven't really looked back. So, okay. So you, you were teaching English or no, 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 no. I speak English. I do not teach English very okay. well. Although eventually I did end up teaching business English, but that was an accident. I, um, for most of my K-12 career, I was involved in the social studies in some way, shape, or form. So history, geography, economics, government, stuff like that. And I, part of my career, I was an instructional technologist. I helped teachers integrate technology in their classrooms. I did a lot of training, that sort of thing. The job that I found in Honduras, literally, they were looking for somebody who could teach one AP social studies class, but the primary position would be uh, curriculum and instruction and technology integration. So I'm trying, I'm trying to pay, I'm trying to pay attention to you right now because I'm just thinking my mind is so excited because I just put something together about you. The reason that I think you are so effective in what you do is because of all of your life skills. 
So, you know, first of all, you have that, that love for geography, you know, that, that, that desire to travel, um, you, um, and you're, you were a teacher, you know, and you were a trainer and that all of that comes across so perfect in what you're doing now. And it's just like, it's so cool when you be like, okay, so you, you, you go through life and you're doing this and you're doing that. And then you get to the space and you say, oh, I can really use that right now. And then all these gifts that you have are just coming together. Um, and so, okay, I'm sorry. I was just, I just got it. No, no, you you are a hundred percent right. Because for a lot, like teachers are not well-respected. Uh, they are not paid, they are paid poorly. And in the framework of the U.S. system, you're supposed to have a prestigious job. You're supposed to make a lot of money. My career that I was very good at, that I enjoyed, did not do those things. Mm -hmm. So there was always for a lot of my life, an internal struggle about like, oh, I should be doing something else where I could make lots of money, blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, I am a teacher at heart. I am somebody who is going to share and explain what it is I know with other people. I've been that way my whole life. And so, no, that is something I like had to come to terms with. And you're right. What I do now is still education. Mm -hmm. It's just, I'm teaching, my students are different and what I am teaching is different, but it's, I'm still an educator. You are, you are an educator and it comes across and, you know, and often I speak to other um, vloggers um, and one thing that we talk about sometimes on and off um, screen is just the credibility. Everybody and their mama can have a YouTube channel, okay? And the one thing about YouTube University that I do have to remind people of a lot is that it, you don't have to be accredited. <laughs> Anybody no. can get on there and say anything. And if they're charismatic enough, you know, or, you know, I mean, there are people that I watch on TV and I'm like, oh my God, if I didn't know any better, I would have no idea that she is like totally lying, okay? But you to be able to have the credibility, the credibility to be putting out a good um, product, you know, somebody that is, um, it just comes across. It just, the quality that you bring, it just, it comes across. And I thank you. I thank you for that. And I think it's another reason why you're such a rock star. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. Thank you. Okay, So tell me this, when you were in Honduras, how long did you stay there? I was there for a year. I should have been there for two years, but the school was really small and I don't think they were financially in a place that they could afford to have me do what I was doing in a non-teaching position. And so they restructured and offered me to keep my job and basically become the high school social studies department. And I said, no, thank you. Uh, That's not not what I was hired to do. And again, at this point in my life, like there's a difference between what I can do and what I am willing to do. And yes, I could have done that. But I am not at a place where I do things I don't want to do anymore. So I told them, um, no, thank you. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I was only in Honduras for a year. Okay, so how did your baby like Honduras? She had the time of her life, which I think people are often surprised by because, I mean, Honduras is a country that has its issues. And often what we see in the U.S. is just nothing but like MS-13 and, you know, all of this kind of stuff. But no, she had a ball. Her social calendar was always full. Um, she, she got to travel to different places in the country. Um, I, it exposed her to people she wouldn't have been exposed to otherwise because the school was so small. Like she was in the 10th grade. I believe there were seven 10th graders. So you can imagine what that means if you're a student in class and how much of your teacher's attention and how much interaction you're getting with your teacher Mm -hmm. when there are that few students. So no, it was a really great experience for her. Honduras is Spanish speaking, right? Yes. Yes. Did she, did she, was she taking Spanish in high school before y'all left? 
No, no. Okay. And I, when I, when I, you know, offered this opportunity to her, I, because come on, you're, you're in the ninth grade, you just start in high school, you've got all these plans for what American high school is supposed to be. And I said, look, you don't have to come and just be gone. I said, you can look at this as sort of a study abroad because it was an American school. They had American curriculum. Uh She could, she'd be taking classes that would count toward her diploma Uh in Texas. Uh We thought she would take Spanish there. Um, What we didn't account for is because the school is so small, they don't have like, oh, you're in Spanish one, you're in Spanish two, you're, no, because the vast majority of the kids were native speakers. So they were all in like Spanish 15 together. And she was like in Spanish as a second language in SSL. Yes. So we did not think that was going to count. But when she came back to the U.S., it did count. They put her in Spanish, too. So she got a year of Spanish out of it. Uh, I think she got her U.S. history credit. So her, her credits weren't quite in the same order as other people who were in the same grade she was. But no, she, um, the vast majority of the classes she took counted toward her graduation requirements. So, okay. So then when you left Honduras, what did you do? Um, I had already... I knew Honduras when I moved there was not a forever place. I knew that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had already. It was a, It was just like a, a start. Yeah. It, I, wanted, I wanted to be out of the U.S. I wanted to learn Spanish. That was my aims for taking that job. And we did both of those. The Spanish did not come as quite as quickly as I would have hoped. Um, I had already started thinking like, okay, where would I like to go next? And so this was before they had restructured and offered me uh, the new situation. And so I was already planning maybe between like uh, Colombia and Mexico. And so um, when they offered me this new situation and I was not interested, it was very late in the school year. And I was like, I can try and bust my ass and try and find another job or I can take the year off, Mm. Um, which I don't know if that idea would have occurred to me had I not been following Stephanie Perry on Instagram, who was just wrapping up what she called a grown-up gap year. Mm -hmm. And so that's Yeah, you know, like, cause we always hear about gap years for kids coming out of high school before they go to college. And uh, so that's what I decided to do. I was like, I'll just take a year off, see how I feel about that um, out of Colombia and Mexico. Mexico won, but it wasn't, it, it won by accident. I already had a flight to Mexico for a prospecting trip okay. that then just turned into, oh, I'm moving to Mexico. Did you just fall in love with it? Uh, the minute I got here, I did. And I you, really and did. When you got to Mexico. You got to Mexico. You went straight to Mexico City because you're a yes. city. Yes. You're because living in Honduras, one of the things like I knew I like to travel. I assumed if an airport had the word international in its name, you could travel internationally. I didn't understand that there are levels to that. Mm-hmm. And the, <laughs> the airport in Tegucigalpa only has like four gates. Um, there might be six, eight flights a day where the airport, they've moved the airport now, but where it was at the time, it was like on the side of a mountain. And so only, uh, pilots with a certain amount of training and all of this could fly there. So the result was there were not a lot of flights and it was really expensive. So as I was choosing a new place, I was like, I need a place with a for real international airport. Yes. Yes. So uh, what what places I'm just curious now, because that's really small. So like there were only like a handful of places that they flew. Yes. So like I for work, they sent me to a conference in Guadalajara, Mexico. There Mm -hmm. is no direct flight from Tegucigalpa to Guadalajara. It was like I was flying 12 hours that day 
Oh, wow. <laughs> it, you know, everything. Now I could fly between Houston and Tegucigalpa. No problem. There was a direct flight there, but mostly it was San Salvador, uh, Houston, uh, Miami. I'm trying to even think if there was a, a, uh, a New York flight. Hmm. So it just was not an easy place to travel from. Well, that's a good thing to consider because yes. honestly, I, you know, unfortunately, I did not pay attention to geography. Um, I am not well-traveled. I, I considered myself, I mean, I'm not well-traveled in the sense that I haven't been to Europe. You know what I mean? Most of my places have just been warm, Caribbean, South or Central, you know, America. So um, I plan on doing more. But honestly, when you call it an international airport, I would have expected bigger as yeah. well, you know, not knowing that, okay, just because y'all fly to another country, that makes you an international airport when you really like a regional. <laughs> yes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's really more like a regional. So those are kind of little tidbits and stuff that people that don't travel will be like, wow, really? So, you know, they will know to, to look out for. Okay. So then you ended up coming to Mexico. Did you ever go to Colombia? Um, I, no. No. Well, yes and no. Uh, for New Year's Eve, the next year, I went to Cartagena, mm -hmm. but I still haven't been to Medellin. And that's what it was. I had narrowed it down to Medellin and Mexico City. Okay. So I still need to go check out Medellin and Bogota, uh, but I haven't yet. I have some friends who went to visit, visit Medellin um, from Panama and just like, uh, was like the guy on um, <laughs> Harlem Nights when he called his wife and said, baby, I ain't never coming home. <laughs> <laughs> they got out there and they was like, ah, you know, Panama is cool, but they really liked Colombia. So they were in Medellin and actually they left there and have gone back to the States. Um, and they're actually here right now um, visiting in, in Panama. So I just like the, I just like the fact that we have choices, we have options, and that we're learning how to put them in motion. And knowing that it's okay to say, ah, eh, you know what, I like this, but I think I'll try something else. I mean, how cool is that? So tell me one more thing about Honduras. So for me, I like to go to different places and look for Black culture. I think that one of the benefits that we have from being able to so freely go from one country to another is to connect with our people, you know, connect with other um, Black people, learn that there's a Black history that is not our own, you know, other people have. And then, and then it's so funny too, because you get to see parallels. Um, I find that when um, Black people are abroad, it seems like to me, like military people would say, like if they were in Japan or Korea or somewhere like that, Americans in general would be just have a lot more camaraderie, you know, and I find that, you know, being a black expat in Panama, I find that we get along, we play well with others so well, you know, being in this environment, but I always like to look for the black history. Did you find Honduras rich in black history or no? Yes. Um, now, how much of it did I get to tap into? Mm -hmm. Not as much as I would have liked uh, because I like to travel. Mm -hmm. And naively, I thought, oh, I'll just bop all over Honduras, not realizing everywhere was five hours away. Mm -hmm. um, because of the infrastructure issues. Um, so I envisioned this life where on the weekends, I would bop here, I would bop there. Oh. Well, most places that meant you needed to take a bus and wow. you weren't getting anywhere in less than five hours. So, you know, five hours there, five hours back. But uh, I noticed almost on the day I arrived, maybe the second day, when I noticed folks making the assumption that I spoke Spanish. In and I was like, yes. And I was like, oh, they don't know that I'm a foreigner just by looking at me. Yeah. Um, and in Tegucigalpa, we would see some of the, uh, the, the, the people of Garafuna descent, mm. but we did go to Tela, 
which is on the coast. And so more so in the coastal areas. And so we did get to have some experiences and my daughter was there for all of that. So that was, that was very nice, but you know, it's a, they've got the same issue we've got in the U.S. where Black history is not always considered part of the history of the country. So it definitely took some work to sort of seek out those things and those experiences. That's kind of why I do what I do. uh, I do cultural relocation tours. And I think it makes such a difference because we bring people to Panama and we show them, you know, but I wish we could have got together when you were here in Panama Uh, We show them, you know, because there's different sides of it. It really is. And and it's like to come to Panama and see places that you could possibly live, you know, learn about the general history and everything is cool, cool, cool. It is, it is, it's a should be, right? But the part that the the part is the cultural part. When we bring the people here, we have Afro-Panamanian tour guides. You know, we talk about the Black culture and history because that's the stuff you got to ask for. It's not going to ever be the stuff that the country says, hey, let us tell you about our great Blacks. That ain't happening, right? And so, but when I found the reason that the, I think one of the reasons that the tours have been so successful is because of the connection. Mm-hmm. Because they come, they see places to live, but then they get to connect. They get to connect to the culture. They get to connect to the history behind why Cologne looks the way that it does. You know, they get to connect to even the Chinese culture is very interesting um, here. Um, and then once they do that, when they decide to relocate, they come with a respect. They come with a respect that I think that we ought to teach, we ought to, you know, the U.S., I don't know about becoming residents in other places. But I do know that the U.S. kind of make you take a little history test, you know, to become a U.S. citizen. And, you know, I'm going to take a look at that because I remember my husband did it and see exactly what kind of history are they putting on there? What if they was to put history on there that reflected the diversity, really, of the United States? Believe me, it's none of that. I, 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 would, I would bet everything that none of it has to do with other cultures. And so I think that that would help people if people understand where we come from, will help people when they come, not to have so all these stereotypes about us that they believe in the media. So I'm always curious about the black history part. Do you think that people would wanna live in Honduras? I mean, did you see anything? I, I, I'm sorry, I got some stuck on Honduras. <laughs> well, it's not a place. Time. No, yeah, it's not. And, and trying to, plan my move there, that was one of the unique issues is there were no expat Facebook groups, definitely none for Black expats. I couldn't find but maybe a handful of bloggers who were talking about their experience moving there. Most people who do move are moving to the Bay Islands because, you know, beautiful white sand beaches. So we're talking about Utila, Roatan, and I can never remember the name of the third one. Uh, That's where most people, when they move, that's where they're thinking about. And if you are looking for a beach kind of life, that's, I think those are great places. Um, I have a friend who just finished construction on a home in, um, in Utila that they had bought the, they were buying the property right when I started working out there. Wow. Wow. Um, is it inexpensive? I mean, and I, I it was, is, it is relatively affordable, okay. relatively affordable. Now they bought a lot and then built a house, but her husband, Handy does not describe this man. He basically oh. built this house himself and it's, yeah. yeah. Um, okay. And so that made it, more affordable, but I know like property taxes, I think it's like $50 a year, yeah. maybe. Yeah. And theirs might be a little high, you know? So, um, so it can be attractive if that's the kind of life you want. I am a city girl. So I just kept thinking as they were talking about building this house, I was like, but what are y'all going to do what, all day? Around you? And they, they dive, you know, they're very like into aquatic life and all of that. So it's a good choice for them. Mm -hmm. Now, as far as 
Like if you want a great city in Latin America, I do not think that is Tegucigalpa. Okay. Uh, the people were incredibly kind, but when you think about some place like Mexico City or Medellin or Bogota, where you know, like there is mass transit and the cities are designed to be walkable and um, that kind of thing, you don't get that there. And that I'm again, I knew that when I went. Mm-hmm. but it solidified, it helped me really fine, fine tune my list of this is what I want in a place that I live. Now, the people that follow me know I'm a little bit um, silly when it comes to geckos. Did they have geckos in Honduras? Yes, because it's in the tropics. So you get all of the tropical animals and sounds. Yes. I could deal with the sounds. Because we get a lot of them, we get a lot of them here, and I live in the suburbs of Panama City. I just don't want the wildlife in my house. That's 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 where I draw the line. Okay, so on to Mexico. So you went to Mexico in, in what year? You went there, two thousand seventeen. Okay, so two thousand seventeen, you landed in Mexico City. Mm-hmm. And when you landed in Mexico City and you got off the plane for the first time, do you remember what your initial like feeling or vibe was? Um, maybe not when I got off the plane, but once I got, cause I ran, I brought my dog with me and I had a little snafu getting her through nothing major, but it just took a long time. But like, once I got to the Airbnb and I'm walking down the street to go get dog fruit from the OXO, I was like, okay, like this, this seems like this could be it. What, what sealed the deal for me was probably when I went to walk the dog, it, it was August and I had to put on a hoodie oh, to walk the dog that morning. I was like, this is great. <laughs> this is wonderful. No, I do not. I had oh. enough of that in Houston. Uh, I am, I'm somebody who, you know, there are some people who can look very graceful in heat. I am not <laughs> one of those people. I am just a sweaty you mess. Melting. Yes. So I'm like, no, when in Houston, I stayed inside. So, so I, being in the tropics and being in Honduras, that was in the tropics again. I was like, little. When you I was just like, I was like, I, this is not me forever. Like I got to find a more temperate climate than this. So, so what is the climate in Mexico city? Um, normally, uh, with the exception of the month of May, temperatures range from like a high in the low seventies to a low if it's not winter time, the low would be in the 50s or 60s. And it's pretty much like that all year long, except for the month of May. May typically is warm, or I say is hot. It will get up to like 85, 86 degrees. It is not humid because okay. we're, at, we're at about 7,500 feet above sea level. Okay. So it is a little dry. Uh, that does take a little getting used to, but it is not humid. Uh, it's one of these places where you always take a jacket with you because even if it is sunny, let's say you step in the shade, it's 10 degrees cooler. cooler. So wow. as a result, a lot of the life here is outside. So people eating outside at restaurants, cafes, that kind of stuff. Uh, very, very common, which was a good thing, you know, like, once the pandemic started, restaurants were still able to function for because so many of them are kind of open, open air and that sort of thing. You have a rainy season there? Yes, typically the rainy season would have started by now. Uh, this year has not been typical. It so y'all got, have an El Nino going on? No, I think El it's Nino here. I, I wonder. I wonder if it is El Nino or if it's climate change. We don't know. Mm-hmm. But it got warm here in February because I was in the U.S. I came back in February and it was like 80 degrees. And I was like, what is going on? Why is it so hot? Wow. I had brought back sweaters and hoodies wow. with me expecting to use them. <laughs> and they just been sitting in my closet. Um, 
So it is a little cooler, like it's supposed to be, but it has not started raining. The rainy season typically goes from about June through October. Mm -hmm. And normally like clockwork around five o'clock, it will rain for about an hour and everybody goes on with their life. It seems to be like here in Panama, like in my neighborhood, like two o'clock seems to be like the bewitching hour where we might have just a shower. And um, I mean, I've gotten used to it. I used to like really like stress over it. Like, you know, oh my God, I hope it doesn't rain on my trips and this and that. But you know something, like you said, is it um, El Nino? Is it uh, uh, climate uh, or global warming? That's, that's what concerns me. Panama really depends on water, you know, to keep that canal going. And mm-hmm. I mean, it's a rainforest, you know, Panama is a, it's a lot. And, and so I think that I, I try not to curse the rain because I'm grateful that Panama is still doing what she's supposed to, because yeah. with all of this, you know, changing and tearing down trees and, and let backfilling and landfilling and, you know, building up, it's, it's built up so much that eventually it will start to affect, but they have some uh, carbon, like zero carbon tolerance now um, here in Panama, which, you know, I just kind of learned that the other, the other day, um, listening to the president. So, okay. So then, so beaches is not, beaches are not in your life. Not really. I can do maybe two days at the beach. And I really just want to look at it. I don't want to be on the beach. I don't want to be in the water. And I know people will hear this and be like, what? It's just not my thing. It's not my thing. I get it. I like, I like the sound of it. I like the sound of it. I like being on the, sometimes I like being on the beach when I can just relax. Matter of fact, I go to the beach every month. Uh, we go to the Caribbean side and um, go to the, and it's, it's just phenomenal. The water is clear. It's calm. It's, I mean, there's no crashing waves at all over there. And it's just like getting in a bathtub, you know, so yeah. that's you. I don't, I don't get in pools either. So, um, so I definitely um, understand that. So when you, you, I mean, when you came to Panama, you just thought, oh my God, the city is so slow. The city is so, I, I just, I just wanted to get you, girl. I wanted to get you. I said, you know, oh. I am not a happy person when I am hot. Well, so that was number one. Like, that was number one. Hot as hell. Okay. Somebody said, so I think that was the first question. So what do you think of Panama? It's hot. I and I know that I was there in March and that wasn't even the hot time. <laughs> So, I mean, it was hot, it was humid. um, And I really don't like being hot and humid. And I, I, being here has spoiled me. The year I moved in like July, that October, I had already booked a flight to go to Southeast Asia. I caught a really good flight deal and was hitting several Southeast Asian countries and as soon as I landed in Thailand, which I had been to before, so I knew how hot it was, but I had forgotten because I'd been living in Mexico City, yeah. walking around in long sleeve shirts, you know, all casual. Oh, but so living here has has made my aversion to heat worse. Worse. Wow. So, um, so now what? Another thing you said about. Um, uh, Mexico is that it's very dog friendly. Dogs are everywhere. Is yes. it like controlled dogs or? Mexico City. Now, because I will see this, I am a member of some Facebook groups that are just Mexico in general. Mm-hmm. And this is where I started to pick up like, oh, the dog culture in Mexico City is a little different okay. than in the rest of the country. Because people are talking about like, oh, there are all these stray dogs and all this. And I am hard pressed to think of more than two stray dogs I've seen living in this city for almost three years. Wow. Like it, that just is not a thing. Um, People, no matter what income level they are on, are very like taking care of their dogs. Now we still have like dogs on the roof kind of a thing. I think that's just a general Mexican thing because a lot of people don't have yard space, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But if you're walking down the street in Mexico City and you see what you think is a stray dog, I bet if you look further back, there's Mm -hmm. a human 
that's attached to because Mexican dogs are very good off off leash. My dog is not Mexican, so she is not allowed to be off leash because she act like she don't have no sense. Um, (laughs) She does not know how to behave, and I don't want to be embarrassed. so embarrassing me in front of these people. Yes, yes. So, but it's very common here for businesses to put out a water dish for dogs. Wow. Or like I went to a pizza place. We they said they were dog friendly. That's fine. As soon as I come in, they take my order, they come back with a platter and a bowl for her. Wow. You know, that's that it so it seems almost like everyone has dogs here. And I know that's not true, but there are a lot of them. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of in- businesses and whatnot you go to, it's like, yeah, bring your dog in. Like that's, that's just not a common thing. When you go to the convenience store, most of them have a place for you to park your dog. Oh, um, so you know, so the, the culture in this city is very dog friendly. I hope that I get to come to, I'm coming to Mexico in November and I hope that I, I no, no, I'm going to come and see Mexico city um, while I'm there. Cause I don't know when I'll get, when I'll get back out there again, let me touch on a couple of things. I knew this was going to happen. You know, I get the running out. I get the running out of time conversation. Be so good. I just have amazing guests. Let me just um, ask you, what is the feeling that you have with regard to, well, first of all, you, you wanted to leave the States and why? I would be curious to know why. And then second of all, how do you find your received as a black expat in the Mexico city area? I wanted to leave the United States one because I was highly cognizant of the fact that the vast majority of Americans are one illness away from financial ruin. And I believe that healthcare is a right, not a luxury. Mm-hmm. And I, I was like, I, I want to be able to live a life where I don't have to worry about if I get sick, yes, I'm going to be homeless. There was that. And the other one, for someone like me, who um, is not very religious, although the United States touts itself as being a place for freedom of religion... If you do not ascribe to the majority religion, mm-hmm. you life can be difficult for you. Mm-hmm. That combined with uh, American individualism, American exceptionalism, like those things don't sit right with me. Mm. And so I was like, there's got to be someplace else yeah. that's different than this. Mm-hmm. But my, my main, and I'm not even somebody with health problems, mm-hmm. knock on wood, But just as I watched the debates about like Obamacare and all of that, I was just like, are y'all literally telling me that there are only some people who deserve to have medical care? And so I was like, I got to go. I got to find some other place. I like that. You have, uh, I mean, you have very um, more than superficial reasons for, for leaving. And I mean, basically you're saying that I don't, re- I can't relate to this. Yes. This and, 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 not, and this is not who I am and this is not what I ascribe to. It's all about the lottery of birth. Just because you were born in a place doesn't mean that's the place you fit best. Exactly. And so um, I, you know, I, I, got, I tell you, I have a note here. It says choosing where you live. I have a note right here that says, you know, choosing it's about, it's like your family, your family is your family and who God gave you as your sister or your brother, your mother, your father, you cannot change. However, comma, you know, your family can be outside of that family. Yes. You get to choose, you can have chosen family. Yes. And so I did not expect to end up in Mexico. I really did not. Um, but how I am received here, um, my, my reception has been incredible, really. And you asked me why I want to leave the United States. I did not mention anything about being Black. Mm-hmm. However, once I was gone, I realized how much of that burden was lifted from me. That, that I live, even though I, I moved to the murder capital of the world in mm-hmm. 2016, Tegucigalpa, Honduras. 
Um, and Mexico has a reputation for violence. Mm -hmm. But as a Black American, all, there are many countries that have violence in them, yeah. the U.S. being one of them. But being a Black person, there is a particular brand of violence mm -hmm. that I am subject to in the U.S. that I am no longer subject to when I live elsewhere. Mm -hmm. So people have welcomed me. I, I cannot say a negative thing. Now, I also have to mention Mexico is a place where colorism is at play, uh, classism is at play, mm -hmm. racism. So I'm, I am acutely aware that I have American right. privilege. You're not naive. I am not naive, but I will tell you, long as I keep my mouth shut, nobody makes the assumption I am American. Mm. And it's more of when I start to speak Spanish and they're like, oh, a girl can't really speak Spanish. That's when the question comes like, oh, well, where are you from? And it's every time that question has been asked, it has been, I have felt out of genuine curiosity. Um, and it's more of they're intrigued with of all the places you could have gone, yes. you chose to come here. Mm -hmm. And I have felt very welcome. Now, have there been incidences where something didn't feel quite right? You know, like maybe somebody, you know, didn't quite serve me the way they should. I don't know if that's because I'm black or if they because they think I'm poor because Mexicans with money, like it don't matter what color you are. If you are poor, <laughs> that makes you less than. But I have never felt unsafe because I am a black person. Mm, that's and that is not a statement I can make about the country I was born in. Yes, that is. Yeah. It, it, get, it gets back around to why, I mean, when violent things happen, you know, all these mass shootings, I, I, I kid you not, I have black expats and for Facebook groups, I have a, a several, two of them, black expats in Mexico and black expats in Panama. It is nothing for me to open up to 300 requests to get into the group because more and more people are just like, oh my God, I just can't do this day after day after day. And a lot of times they don't even, you don't even realize, you know, I came from New Jersey. I was raised and born and raised in New Jersey. And that's all I knew was New Jersey. I had no idea it was so easy to live in other places. Because everything is hard in New Jersey. Everything is hard. Everything is expensive. Everything like is harder when you're black, DMV. too. Yeah, and the DMV is like daggone mafia. And um, everything was hard. You know, I went to, I moved to Mississippi. I went to get my license. And I took the day off from work because I fully expected to spend a day in DMV. And I was like in and out. And that's where I started to learn um, the differences. So sometimes you don't even recognize stuff until you get in another place and you say, wow, you know, I, 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 I didn't really feel, cause you're just surviving. You survive it. You, you become numb to it in some cases. So, okay. So now I gotta get to um, Picky Girl Travels. So I want you to tell us how you decided to do that and um, you know exactly what you do, and is it just for girls? Have you opened okay. it up to guys? Um, no. Well, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here's the thing. Um, Picky girl travels. Picky girl travels the world. Started kind of as a joke um, because anybody who has ever had the pleasure of eating out with me knows that it is an experience because I am an incredibly picky eater. Uh -huh. Okay and traveling the world, what I'm gonna eat is always a struggle. And so I was sharing my travels, but really I am not, I'm not a good like travel blogger, that content create, I'm not about that. Cause I just wanna be on the trip, okay? Yeah. yeah. But the thing that I really wanted to share and do more work with was with the financial piece mm -hmm. and how that then allows you to do the traveling, to do the moving abroad. And so um, I started, I'm always hesitant to say that I'm a financial coach. I prefer the term financial educator, mm -hmm. but, but specifically, I think most of my audience are uh, Black women either looking to move abroad or looking to travel. I focus on Black women because that's, that's who I'm rooting for. Mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> 
I will not, if, if somebody, if a non-woman person, non-female person wanted to book a one-on-one with me, that is fine. But like my group coaching uh, program, that is for women of color, mm-hmm. uh, women, uh, non-white women, because I feel like that is a community that is underserved. Mm-hmm. And so um, I travel because that is when I, again, I talked about when I turned 40 about living the life I wanted. I wanted a life centered on travel. Mm -hmm. So Piggy Girl Travels the World is who I am. I live in Mexico right now. I, Mexico is home for me, but there may come a time when I live somewhere else. I do continue to travel and share all of that, but but at the, at the core of everything I do is helping folks figure out the financial piece yeah. so they can do the thing that they want to do, whatever that happens to be. Mm-hmm. That's, um, and, that, and that's very well needed. I'll definitely put your, put your links um, at the bottom because the other thing, and I kind of, I kind of go back and forth with my group um, because some people say, well, you shouldn't let, shouldn't let non-Black people in here. I just am not of that mindset. You know, I vet everybody that comes in the group. There are certain white folk that try to come in the group. I look at their profiles and I see that they're MAGA. Well, what would you possibly want with this group? Then I'll look at some people and I'll see that they're in a biracial relationship. You know what I'm saying? Or their husband or their wife is, um, is, is Afro. And then I look at some, some men out and I could tell just by their activity that they might truly be interested in Afro culture, you know, just based on their history. And some of the, some of the really big supporters of Black expats in Panama, especially here on the ground, are not Black. They are not Black. So it's a balance. It really is. I have content for women because I mean to say this real fast because sometimes women need that feeling of comfort and safety and there's nothing like being in a group of just us. Okay, because you know what, um, I I was hesitant in the beginning because it it I can understand how it might feel exclusionary for mm-hmm. me to say this is for Black women, mm-hmm. but between the podcast and the YouTube channel my content is accessible by everybody. And there are dudes who come in the contest and they're like, hey, I'm not a black woman, but this is useful. So I'm not keeping anybody from uh, accessing the content. Now, Mm -hmm. when it talks about getting access to my time, I want my time and my effort to very much benefit black women and and women of color. Um, And like you said, women need a safe space yeah. because I am in some groups or I was in some groups for finances that were just general open. And the, the misogyny I saw because a woman could not ask a simple question without folks jumping down. And so, no. Um, So that's why like my, my solo travel group is, limited to like non-binary folks and black women because I want them to feel safe to ask whatever question it is they have. There's no there's no dumb question and nobody is yes and and I, I, I appreciate that. I really do. And I know that you know this interview and um your channel you know helps a lot of black women and so I'm very happy um about that. Um I have to get ready to go. But um, before we go, if you would give, because you've been doing this for a while, and but hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh my gosh, I'm going to get in trouble again. Okay, but what made you make your first video? I never wanted to make a YouTube channel, ever, ever, ever. That is why I started my podcast, because I was like, I can talk, but I don't have to be on the camera. Um, Stephanie Perry convinced me she was like you really need to be on YouTube and she was right and it took me probably a year a year and a half of having her in my ear being like you really should need to be on YouTube that I finally did it um but that I had no desire to be on YouTube yes 
And then, so, but you were comfortable with your podcast. Yes, yes. So then you um, transitioned. Yeah. Okay. So then you transitioned and you finally, you know, went ahead and bit the bullet. And it's amazing how, you know, you, you have all of these Monday, Monday quarterbackers. Uh, what are they some Monday morning quarterbacks? Quarterbackers. Yeah, because yeah. I do I do all my little videos myself at this point. And boy, some people really light into me like, girl, that audio was horrible or whatever. Like, okay, you didn't pay me for this. You know what I'm saying? It's like it people don't realize how much work, you know, some of us do put into it and they can be just really messy. Um, so then you but then you got into that. And I think that did, did it continue to grow based out of a yes. need? Yes. That's what yes. happens. You start getting because people people found me. YouTube mm-hmm. is the second largest search engine behind Google. So people who were not finding my content before now have been able to. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's definitely been a good thing, but it was something I fought for a long time. Well, for me, I just had to keep figuring it out. I mean, the group grew from 200 to 5,000, just the Facebook oh, group, wow. so 200 to 5,000 in two years. And um, so, of course, that changes things. It's like just managing who's getting in, who's getting out, the post and everything like that. It becomes becomes a job, you know, and then people are wanting things. They're, they're wanting resources. They're wanting assistance. And so it gets to a point where it's like, okay, we just can't do this willy-nilly. You know, I'm just not here to build everybody else's business. You know, I mean, you work real hard, you get this following, and then you have people just come in with their net. You know, so I kept having to transition from one thing to another. I had, I had to get a trademark. I had to get an LLC. And, and now it's like a full-time job. I had to give up hair. <laughs> Listen, it's it's trying to make those transitions and trying to have the people who have been with you from the very beginning to understand this is what we're doing now. Yep. <laughs> So, but tell me this before we go, and this has been wonderful, and I'll make sure everybody can, because they they can, you can see what I mean about just your presentation and everything. I could just listen to you for hours, but um, tell us if you was to give some advice to expats moving internationally, what would it be based on your experience? Just people moving abroad in, in general? Mm-hmm. Oh, there's so many things I would want to say. And I'm trying to think of like, what is the, um, I think it's always important to have a plan B Mm -hmm. because I see folks who are like, I'm leaving the U.S. I'm going to cut all my ties. We all have the intention never to need to go back, Mm -hmm. never to need anything, but you just don't know how things will play out. And so I would always say, have a plan B. Don't close that U.S. bank account. Even if you never, ever set foot in the U.S. again, Mm -hmm. there may come a time when having it becomes useful. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or especially folks who have assets that they intend to leave to people when they are gone, whether they are your children, your siblings, whomever, Mm -hmm. not having some kind of financial footprint in the U.S. is going to make all of that more difficult. Mm -hmm. So if there was only one thing I would say, and I would make that part of your plan B, is to not just assume this is the way it's going to go down. Mm -hmm. Like, think of the, the other possibilities and what can you do to prepare that doesn't really cost you anything, doesn't really hurt you, but leaves you another avenue. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think that's, I think if you had to just pick one, and I know there are several, that that was a good one. That was definitely a good one. So with that, let if you just tell us how um, to find you, I'm going to let you go and get back on with your day. Okay. All right. Well, you can find me on YouTube at Peaky Girl Travels the World on IG, Facebook, Twitter. I'm just Picky Girl Travels. And uh, if you want to know more about me and what I do, you can go to the website, pickygirltravelstheworld.com. Okay.
Well, thank you so much for um, spending time with us. It was so awesome. Thank you for having me. Yes, you're welcome. And it was good. It was good finally meeting you too. So thank you for joining us. And there you have it, Miss Adelia. Your uh, picky girl travels the world. Um, What an amazing conversation. I hope that you received a lot from that. Um, I sure did. And it was just great learning more about her as we um, talked. I love the financial confidence piece. Um, finance, because let me tell you, when your money ain't right, you ain't right. I don't care. Don't, don't <laughs> listen. Don't believe them, y'all. When your money ain't right, you ain't right. So work hard to get your money right so that other things can fall into place, you know, a little bit um, easier for you and that you can make good choices and decisions and be in control as much as you can when you have your finances um, together. So, so much good stuff to unpack right there, but I got to get up out of here today. I'm going to leave you. I, you know, we start the show with, um, Al Green and I don't normally end the show with Al Green, but I'm just feeling some Al Green today. Okay. So I'm going to leave you with love and happiness today. And I know that when you hear this song, it's going to take you back. You're going to see your mama. You're going to see your friends. You're going to remember where you was when you was listening to this song. And that is what I love about music, you know, that it can just take you, bam, just transform and take you to a spot in just a second. So um, I want to send a shout out to my brother, Daryl Spears at Elite Conversation Podcast Media for producing this uh, broadcast for me and Also, um, just to let you know, we'll see you back here next Sunday at 2 p.m. Costa Rica time. This is Charlotte Van Horn, Black Expats in Panama by way of Grassboro, New Jersey, right here on Black Said Radio. Follow us everywhere. Keep up with us and we will keep up with you. I love you. I love you. I love you. And there's just nothing you can do about it. Peace and love, y'all.